Value Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. You have to go for, for customers first. If you can plug into the existing payment systems, then we have the advantage that from day one, the first customer can use our system successfully everywhere. You raise your system not from building a critical mass, but saying there are other networks which have the critical mass and you plug into them. It's still an advantage for the for the customer because he can use it everywhere and you can give it some additional benefit. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Bernard Kauer, who's joining us from Germany. I'm really excited to speak to you today because, you know, you are a pioneer and entrepreneur in the payment space, and uh, you are learning many things about what makes payments successful. Set for us the agenda for Europe and uh, set for us the problem that you are out to solve in European payment. In Germany, lots of payment is still happening with cash, and there's uh, several reasons for that. And one reason is um, privacy. People really like to have their anonymity when they pay. There are other reasons like uh, high cost for, for card payments and so on. Approximately half of the, of the payments are done in cash. And then you have card payments and most of the uh, cards are debit cards and they are given by uh, the normal banks. So you have 120 million um, debit cards are given out by the banks and there is a German card scheme. Uh, called GiroCard, um, which does 70 or 80 percent of the of the volume they are doing in Germany. So if you pay, you pretty much pay with your with a bank card, and that's it. People really want to have um, a faster and secure way, and uh, nobody had solved this problem yet. And it was uh, one of the reasons why we started Puddle to Pay. We wanted to solve this puddle, solving the um, um, the new digital. Uh, payment system without uh, throwing away all the, the benefits of the older systems. In Europe, you have an interesting part because you have a unified commercial area and with banking, you have the ability to, to move uh, or provide banking services pretty much in all uh, European countries. But on the other hand, you have these still nationalized systems like GiroPay and so on. So it, it's still outdated somehow. And on the other hand, it's, it's open in, in some sense. There's a real opportunity to, well, look at the future and see what's possible there. The funny thing about Europe is that by legislation and the EU's activism in payment, you've got SEPA, you've got uh, yeah. the single European payment area, and, and then you've got the payment uh, legislations right in, in place. And you have the participation, you've got open banking sort of, so yeah. the APIs uh, infrastructure. All the infrastructure has been created in Europe, more than, there, in, yeah. well, more than in China, by the way, you know, and on top of that, you know, for the traditional card payments, Visa and MasterCard, the regulators in Europe, the EU has uh, mandated to that there's a ceiling in terms yeah. of transaction fees. So if all the infrastructure has been put in place for to make payments cheaper and more ubiquitous, yeah. what happened that Europe did not create that ubiquitous payment infrastructure that China has today? If you compare, say, uh, Sweden, you have this peer-to-peer um, -peer payment system in, in Sweden uh, called uh, Swish, where they can send payments relatively small. It's something like 10 cents, um, one uh, corona. Um, they can send between each other just by your, your phone. And this is uh, provided by the banks. All the uh, big banks in Sweden have, have built such a system and they do peer-to-peer -peer payments and it works and it's uh, ubiquitous there. 
And that's something uh, which will never happen in Germany for several reasons. First, the banks do not like to work with each other. The last biggest one was uh, they wanted to build a, a PayPal clone called PayDirect, and it, it failed, um, well, spectacularly, if you want to do it, say it that way. They, they were not uh, clear what they want to achieve. And uh, if you do something new, you have to disrupt the old incumbents. And the banks don't want to be disrupted. They want to take part in the new world, but they don't want to lose their original um, yeah, money they get from that. So it's, it's, right. it's the, the usual uh, investors, uh, innovators dilemma they face. What is your overall goal? Is it to meet a gap that, is, that exists in the existing system? Or is it to, you know, if possible, rewrite the mm -hmm. landscape? It's pretty much both. So we started with micropayments. So that was the, the original idea. It's pretty much micropayments in the, in the internet. And uh, we were doing a uh, cloud storage startup where we were using SSDs, flash storage for speeding up um, cloud storage. We built a system and the system was too cheap in the end. We had the experience, the, the engineering experience and saying, well, uh, if it's a problem on, on technology, we can solve that. We know how to, to use uh, the advantage we get from newer technology. We know uh, Moore's law. We uh, knew how to build a scalable system. So we set out with that goal in, in, in the end. And what we came up with was a completely new um, payment stack where we can transfer um, single cents and still make money in the end. We looked a little bit around and figured out, well, if we have this nice payment uh, system, and we can use it for more than just micropayment. It doesn't matter whether you transfer one cent or a uh, hundred euro. It's pretty much the same thing, right? It's it's the same message. It's the same um, the same procedure. So we figured out if we, if we go outside that and say do payment for not only for micropayments where we have small amounts, but do payment for everyday life, then we end up with a much larger um, volume and with a large volume, a small share, we still end up with a small or, or medium or large revenue. The cost of processing payment has collapsed. Technically, it costs nothing to process a payment because, you know, a payment is an information on a string. And in fact, payment processing costs had also collapsed for the traditional payment companies like Visa and MasterCard. In fact, it's in your country that there was a company called Wirecard, right? Uh, which was yeah. processing <laughs> payments for for Visa and MasterCard. But when the whole fraud thing took place, one of the things we discovered was Wirecard wasn't processing payment either. It was passing on to smaller companies which were taking bulk and, and so on. This is happening in the payments world. And yet there are hundreds of startups like yours everywhere in the world that want to revolutionize payment. I want you to uh, give me a sense of the revenue models that didn't work in payments and the revenue models that you are looking at that makes it possible for a company like yours to function profitably. So as I said, the, the physical cost of payment uh, comes down and the, the easiest explanation is Moore's law, right? In the last uh, 20 years, we have something like a, a thousand X uh, reduct or improvement in, um, in CPU um, performance for the same price. The physical um, cost for sending a payment is pretty much uh, goes down all the time. So that's the, 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 the first answer. And uh, the second thing about, about micropayment is 
uh, if you think what's the most uh, successful micropayment system in the world? And my answer for that is um, Google AdWords. The Google Ad Network is pretty much on, on the websites, you have an ad. And if somebody clicks there, you get money for that. So it's a, it's a micropayment system and you don't get much money for that, right? Ah. And it, it does, and they do it in, with scale. So there's a lot Amazing. of things to get that. So they have billions of, of revenue for that. So that's, that's the, at least in my point of view, the biggest micropayment system we have in the world. And it works for very tiny amounts of money. So pretty much you see there's an example that micropayments are solved, the revenue model. Um, if you think about what people are usually doing, and they are usually doing um, something like, okay, we have a fixed uh, cost and some percentage. So they, they're pretty much doing, uh, doing both things. If PayPal, it's something like uh, 20 cents or 30, 30, 29 cents plus 1.9% or something like that. And if you do that, uh, you immediately excluding micropayments. If you have a, have, a, have a fixed cost, then you're toast. And a similar thing was happening for a long time in Germany with, with GiroPay. They had something like 50 cents or so, a fixed cost and then uh, a percentage. And it turns out that if you go in the shop and there's still some old shops with these old things there, they would post a sign saying, you can't pay with card below 10 euro because it's too expensive for the people. And it took them a while uh, to realize that's not sustainable. Even in China, what happened was that uh, they invested in their payment infrastructure for a few years to, to create critical mass. And I'm sure that a part of their revenue comes from the ecosystem, the big merchants and so on, and from the deposits uh, which they need to, you know, park in different banks and so on. And then, of course, there is there are models like in uh, Korea where the payment infrastructure was built, the, the digital payment infrastructure was the revenue stream for Kakao Pay, for yeah. example. A lot of that was foreign exchange because the, the foreign exchange market was underdeveloped in Korea. So what is the model that, you are thinking about, you know, that will work for you. The business model is something like uh, having a percentage uh, below uh, zero pay. Something like, um, in the ideal case, something like 0.5% of the, of the transaction volume. That's the, the thing which would work for micropayments, which would work for, for, for micropayments. So that was the, the revenue model. And that's the only thing which, which um, does two things mainly getting micropayments on board and uh, having um, an advantage compared to uh, existing models. If you go for okay. a merchant, they would say, what's, what's my benefit? And if you don't uh, reduce on price, um, for them, it's all the same because they have the same API in the end and they simply flip a bit and say, um, is it that system or that? Now it's a question, what's the, the go-to-market strategy for the, for the customer? That's much more complex, right? Because um, payment is a, is a marketplace. We need both uh, to work. And what, what we learned from failures in that area was that they started on the merchant side, right? PayDirect was something, uh, there was a big um, project uh, 10 years ago from Auto Group, which is a large retailer in or descent uh, e-commerce uh, thing they wanted to build. And they simply said, okay, we have a lot of money and uh, we want to build a payment system and we need both. So we go to the merchants and say, uh, use some money, please use us. And this always fails because the customer doesn't care, right? If there's a website, you have five different options and there's a sixth one, why do I, should I choose the sixth one? And if I have to um, download an app or do something like onboarding in this new system, then nobody wants to go there. 
And so they pretty much took the wrong strategy for, for go-to-market and it, it failed all the time. Are you saying here that there's fragmentation in the market is also a problem? There's too many choices. If you look at e-commerce side, they're saturated, right? They're now doing, they don't directly talk to the, to the payment um, providers anymore, but they have something in the middle. They, they use Stripe, they use uh, Adian and all these, um, well, aggregation, uh, payment aggregation uh, players. Payment aggregation at the back end is still good old-fashioned bank payment, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the, the interface to the e-commerce. If you look at e-commerce payments in the, in the shop, then you have the choice, right? And, and because you have 30 different options and for different countries, you simply go to somebody who says, okay, I have this here and you have to click, 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 and, and you're gone. And that's okay. what the success of, say, Stripe and, and the other guys was. You have to go for, for, uh, for customers first. This was one lesson we had we learned from the, from the failed attempts. And uh, if you go for customers first, then you have the problem, okay, you don't have a merchant. Still, you have to give the customer an advantage, right? Otherwise, you don't want to, to use the system. And we figured out that if you, if you can plug into the existing payment systems, then we have the advantage that from day one, the first customer um, can use our system successfully everywhere. You raise your system, not from building a critical mass, but saying there are other networks which have the critical mass and you plug into them in and you pay. Maybe it is more expensive and it's probably not that convenient, but it's still an advantage for the customer because he can use it everywhere and you can give it some um, additional benefits. Where are you with, uh, with regards to regulation and where are you in terms of your licenses and what has it given you? Like, uh, you know, what do you have as a result of license? You've got domestic access. Do you have so access you, to the interbank payment network uh, yeah. and to SEPA? There are different uh, parts on, on licenses. Um, the easiest license is for, for open uh, banking. So we have something like a, a payment information service which you can build and the payment uh, initiation service. And that's pretty much um, that you go to the, the banks and say, I want to do an, doing a payment from your account to another account, but then you are only a front end. And that's nothing which, which, which helps us. So we have to go one level further, which is an uh, electronic money institute, so electronic money license. And then the, the last part would be a full banking license where you can do lending and this sort of stuff. So uh, we need either directly uh, an, an electronic money uh, Institute, or we have a partner uh, which gives us um, API access and where we are an agent of such an uh, electronic money institute. With an electronic money um, license or institute license, uh, you can take deposits from public customers. We have real bank accounts in that sense. Uh, you can, can't do overdraft in every lending part and you can't do, uh, make money out of the, the deposits. But you can plug into um, the normal Zipa system. You can uh, get uh, credit cards or debit cards on top of that. And uh, can plug into the, the, the MasterCard, Visa card um, sphere. And then you can, in your own system, you can do P2P payments, of course. That's the technology and access part. The revenue model, you know, what is the revenue model that you want to get into? If you look how the... the um, current, uh, the, the neo banks and even in normal banks are in Germany at least um, following that up. Um, they all have um, a subscription model pretty much, right? 
So they, they have this premium thing where you have a minimal um, product, which is free for everybody, which you can't usually can't do much of that. And then you have something like five euros, eight euro, 10 euro for the, um, for the normal um, standard um, account. And then you have something like 15 euro or even 20 euro for the premium account. And the, the thing is with that is uh, there, it's nice, it's nice to model and it's subscription. So you get it every month and so on. But the problem is it's, it has a steep uh, pricing increase. What we figured out is if we have from a payment side, if you want to have um, micropayments in there, we have the, the percentage and we can do this very same thing on the, on the, on the consumer side. Saying if you use our system, if you use it little, say you have a, a, a monthly um, throughput of 100 euros, then you pay a one euro, say, or half a euro or something like that. And if you have uh, a thousand euro, then you pay, say, 10 euro a month. So we have pretty much a, a percentage on the price, and this gives you an, an, a more incentives for the people who are not currently using the paid version of, of others. So it's pretty much a gap in the market we, we identified. Um, where we can have the, the, the little users, not, a, not a, the, the heavy users, but the users which want to use it little because they want to get in or they, they say, well, I just need it for a certain use case, um, which makes the, the current offers simply too expensive for them. All of Europe is still struggling with the revenue model for payments. You know, and, and the only way is to pass that cost directly to the customer, the banks are doing that, and you are saying that you will end up doing that too. What about ecosystems? Uh, what about, you know, when you create an ecosystem, you know, you create vendors or you create merchants who didn't exist before, you know, who would pay a premium to streamline the payments part or rather to complete the loop on, on their payments. What do you think will be the momentum for, for Europe? The problem is Europe from an from outside point of view, it looks like this is Europe, right? It's, it's a big unified market and it's all the same. The problem is um, then you end up with, okay, Sweden is completely different than say Germany and it's different than Italy and that's different than Spain. So it's, it's the, the, the cultural aspect is, is, really, is really hard to, um, to put into uh, the Very good uh, point, yeah. Point. What we figured out that, for example, the the argument which we make is uh, saying, okay, we start with a cash alternative because we can build a system that's privacy aware. It's perfectly fine for Euro, for, for Germany, but it won't get much in, say, Sweden because they don't have this problem. Even if you look at a PayPal or something like that, it's the same model for 20 years and the, the, the environment has changed. So the, the costs come down, the people want to have another thing, they want to have unified things, they're used for convenience and so on. And this is not reflected in the, in the products we see in the market today. Am I right to think that critical mass is important for you? Having um, you know, a critical mass, a momentum in, in terms of the number of customers is important for your uh, payment platform to be considered successful. What we struggle with getting a viral loop going on, right? So getting the, the growth rate right. We don't have the problem other payment systems have that they say, if there's not a million people in there, then the network is not dense enough. It's not the number per se to say we are successful if we have 100,000 or a million or 10 million people. It's the question whether we can convince a subgroup fast enough. That's the, the, that's the thing. Saying uh, if you can convince all privacy aware uh, people within say three years or so or 
five years or a certain percentage of them, then it would be a success. And if you can do that, if you say, okay, this is a, a benefit for these subgroup, then the whole system will uh, will grow naturally, pretty much. Final question. What do you think is the future of payments? What is the goal that you've set for yourself? Payment will be something which is much more convenient than we have today. It, it moves in, into one direction and the, the, the force is, is convenience in the end. Because it's more convenient, people will use it. Uh, because it, they, they have less head edges, uh, they will use it. Because it's cheaper, they will use it. So it's, it's, in the end, it's, it's a convenient force who drives the, the industry or the, the future. And what I'm uh, hoping for is pretty much that the puzzles we are solving or the, the, the puzzles they're currently in, the, the obstacles, that we can get away with them, right? That you are flexible, that you have a flexible, cheap, uh, secure payment system without having a compromise on one of the parts. That would be my, my dream in the end. Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.